0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Exodus, old and new. That is where we're at. That is what we're doing. But I have to admit, this is my least favorite type of sermon to preach, the introduction sermon. It very easily runs the risk of being dry and cold and having little to nothing in it to convict you, and then also less space to naturally give over the goods to you. Now, for those of you who are listening from home, you're obviously not here for anything but the goods, and for those that will be hearing this in person, I know that you're not coming for the smiling faces, the coffee and biscuits, the singing, and certainly not for me, and so that leaves only one thing that you're here for, the goods. If I were to leave it out, that would be a mistake. Now, what is this goods that I'm talking about? Well, that is to hear that you are a sinner who rightly deserves to be placed under the crushing weight of your sin ...and unrighteousness... ...to be judged by God... ...and punished. But instead... ...God the Son, Jesus... ...freely agreed to die your death for you... ...and to suffer your deserved condemnation and doom... ...in your place. And he didn't just agree to do that from eternity... ...he actually did it... ...on the cross for free and for each of us. He did that for you. So, the other problem with an introduction sermon is that, well, it's like this. Picture a very, very old, gigantic, beautiful cathedral, you know, the old churches. And it needs a bit of love. It needs to be cleaned off, little repairs done, But this is no small task, and first you have to build the scaffolding, that's that metal frame, all around the outside of it, so that you can even begin the work of climbing up, investigating, seeing what needs to be done, and then finally laboring and making it shine again. An introductory sermon is that building of the scaffolding, that metal framework, and I fear that it will come off as a lecture. And I don't want it to be that. The real problem, though, is that I know you want that. (laughs) Everyone loves the lecture because it's not attacking or offending you. But know that I will work very hard to not let us down. So, Exodus, what does this mean? You would be right if you guess something to do with an exit, the door that you leave out of. The word could be translated the way out. For God's first people, the Jews, this meant a very specific and big event. So, Exodus meant going out, or going out of Egypt. And you know the story, right? Look, you probably know the story, and we will dive into it next week, but I don't want to assume that you know it completely, okay? So to get the short version, we need to read from Psalm 136, verses 10 to 16, which says this in the form of a song or a chant. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them. His steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, His steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, His steadfast love endures forever. Made Israel pass through the middle of it, His steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, His steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness. His steadfast love endures forever. Or we could read a shortened version from the deacon that is a servant of the church named Stephen in Acts chapter 8. In fact, he does a much better job of shortening the whole story than I could do. So I would encourage you to go ahead and read that passage this week. And then also, the writer of Hebrews gives us the shortest retelling. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. There is even a really decent animated movie out there, so if you don't want to read, you have no excuse for not knowing the story next week, okay? (laughs) But... You need to know that this is not just some history lesson. In fact, there are three big things that I want you to take away from this short series in Exodus. And we'll count them, okay? One, two, three. So number one, I want you to know that this story is your story. You need to walk away from this series understanding that when God rescued his first people, he was also rescuing you. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthian church, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, that the words of Moses were written for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he goes on to say that he needs his readers to understand and not be ignorant of the fact that. Our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We need to talk about the baptism side of this in coming weeks, but Paul tells us non-Jewish and Jewish people, both at the same time, that their fathers, their ancestors, were under the cloud and went through the sea. Well, how can he say that? Paul says this because as someone who has been gifted faith by God the Holy Spirit and places their trust and hope in Christ alone for salvation, that person becomes a part of God's people and we share a common story. But we enter into a new family. We get new ancestors. The story of the Red Sea is our story. Which leads us to the second thing that we need to walk away from this series with. That this exodus is not just a one-time event. In fact, it is also a pattern in God's behavior. (laughs) He saves. And specifically, he saves by rescuing his people in miraculous ways from dire circumstances. And before we move on to our third point, I I really want to drill this exodus pattern into your head, or at least begin to. Another word that we've used before, uh, specifically when studying 1 Peter, is exile. Exile is different from exodus because it means to be put out. Usually, exile is a curse, and then an exodus is a blessing. The first exile we see in scripture is that of Adam and Eve when they are removed from the garden. The next we see is that of Cain, the first murderer. He's removed further from his family, and he's forced to live a life of of wandering. This led to the building of cities, which does not sound bad, but these cities were to glorify the builders themselves and not God. And in fact, the cities become so corrupt that eventually God looks down at man, and he decides to tear it all down and start over. And in order to do that, he's going to create a way out for one family. And that's Noah and his family. God's word tells us that God looked favorably at Noah. That is to say that God chose to be merciful to him. And he gave Noah an exodus. He gave him a way out. Now, this does not fix everything. and in, in fact, after Noah's people have been around for a while... Uh, we see that there needs to be another exile, okay? Um, Because everyone is trying to replace God and forget about him. So God scattered everyone and confused their languages. And that's the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And then it's right after that story in chapter 11 of Genesis uh, that we are introduced to a man named Abram in chapter 12. Later, he will come to be known as Abraham. So, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, that's your family, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." Later, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, when God is reminding Abraham of this blessing, and also of what God has continued to do for him, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur. That was his home previously. In this language here of brought out, God is actually using this, this language as a picture of of him bringing Abraham into blessing as a picture of Exodus. The same language will be used later and repeated to Moses and Israel when God has to remind them, Remember me, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt? (laughs) And funny enough, God also rescues Abraham from Egypt. It's a long story, and so to make the long story short... Abraham lies to Pharaoh, that is, the god-king of Egypt, and then the true god has to find a back door for them to escape out of. And this is just the start of the Exodus theme in Scripture, um, which leads to the big one with Moses and the Red Sea. But is it really the big one? In fact, no. Which brings us to the third thing that. I want all of us to get out of this series. Jesus is in all of it, and Jesus is the conclusion of the whole story. How can this be? The prophet Isaiah, about a thousand years later, after Moses, would say this to God's people, who would soon be exiled, in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. He says something like this, remember that old Exodus story, the one that you sing about uh, being so amazing and great and proving God's steadfast love? Well, the next Exodus is going to make you forget all about the first one. Now that is a very bold claim. What could something so great look like? Well, it it looks like the person and work of of Jesus. Isaiah was talking about God himself taking the sin, guilt, and shame of the whole world to the grave and then leaving it there. The great exodus out of slavery to ourselves and to sin. The the great exodus that does not just involve one tribe leaving North Africa, but involves people from every tribe and tongue and nation being set free from bondage. After Jesus resurrected from the dead and left the grave, he walked through all of the scripture with a couple of his disciples, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and he showed them how the scripture spoke of and pointed to him. This week in our catechism, uh, the question that was asked went something like this If we need a mediator and cannot save ourselves, then how in the world are we supposed to hear about this this good news, who is Jesus? And the answer was good for us today. We hear about Jesus from only one place, God's word. The answer went on to say that starting in the garden and then through all the Old Testament, Jesus is the one that we were waiting for, and it is in him that all scripture is directing us. Now, we are going to see this very specifically in the book of Exodus, which, if I left that out before, Exodus is the second book in your Bible, (laughs) just in case you were a little bit lost. Now, we'll be seeing uh, pictures that uh, Jesus relates to himself, from the book of Exodus, uh, things that Jesus is doing in the Gospels that is always pointing to him as being that, that new and greater Moses who is going to lead this, this second, this new and greater Exodus. But more specifically, in the book of Exodus, we're going to see lots uh, of little pictures that point to the person and work of Jesus, uh, what it is that he did for us on the cross. His his atoning work on the cross. In Exodus, we have a story of redemption from slavery that involves blood sacrifice as a substitute, right? Reconciliation with God. We're going to see a great victory. Uh, We're going to see um, God's people being proven right through faith, uh, being brought together in relationship to God uh, through a covenant. We're going to see adoption. We're going to see a people Um, where everyone is meant to be a priest. We're going to see Passover, that is our sins being passed over. And we're going to see baptism pictured, which these are just a couple of the threads. And in each of these threads, we have something that should be deepening our understanding of everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. In this whole laundry list of saving acts that God does, In the book of Exodus, and then in every Exodus, and and in the greater Exodus specifically, there are going to be different things that stand out, that jump out at us. And we'll be picking those up as we go. Before, when I said that this was not just a history lesson... This means that we don't just get to sit back and look at the first Exodus story and say, ooh, ah, oh yes, the people of God, they were so faithful to follow him and they were so trusting and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) We don't get to romanticize the whole thing because let's be honest, the Israelites were a mess. They were a hot mess even. In every lull and action, they get bitter at God. When nothing seems to go their way, they blame Moses, and then they voice their unhappiness. You do not get to be an outside set of eyes looking in. You are the Israelites in the story. You are the grumblers and the complainers. You are the doubting, faithless ones who are always trying to find some other God that will comfort you. I'm throwing myself in there too. (laughs) And we certainly do not get to be the Moses in the story. Though he was a little bit better than some of them some of the time. You are the one who is going to be confusing freedom from slavery with freedom from God. So never think that you know better. And when in doubt, place yourself in the shoes of the sinners because that's who you are. That's who we are. We are the ones who are in need of the Passover lamb, and we are the ones who, like Abram and like Moses, are shown favor by God because he simply chooses to show favor. He has shown that favor to you. Not because of something inside of you, some spark or beauty, not some good and pious action that you have done, not because of some perfection in you, but he has chosen you for the same reason that he chooses others. You need to be saved. And my prayer for all of us is that while we're going through Exodus, old and new, that, that the richness of your heritage and history in Christ will become a source of encouragement to you. I pray that you will see the saving work of Jesus throughout all of Scripture, and that you will be able to open the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, and read them with the unity that they have together. And then lastly, I pray that through our study and the proclamation of the good news through these texts, that you will see Jesus as all, and that all of your faith, all of your fear, all your love, trust, and hope will be placed on him in new ways every day. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.